0: hello and welcome to the et phd team podcast the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you i'm Amelia, a registered nutritionist and phd with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier if you love it please do go wild and share it and if you're ready for support with our coaching details are in the show notes Hello and welcome to episode number 280 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Holly. Hi, Holly, how are you?
1: I'm fantastic. I'm feeling so festive after our
0: team Christmas meetup. It was fantastic. We just did an hour of um, Zoom games and it was a very fun time. I really highly recommend Zoom games more often. It's great. Now that we're not forced to do it, I mean, we kind of are forced to do it in the sense of like, you know, we're all over the world. but we didn't have to do it. And when you choose to do it, it's infinitely more fun.
2: Agreed.
1: Agreed.
0: And Anna, how are you? I
2: am good, thank you. I think the tears from laughing so much have just about stopped.
0: <laughs> I mean, I was mostly laughing at you have to, like, for one of the games. That, what was the game <laughs> name of the game, Holly, that you brought to the table?
1: Drawful. drawful. you're basically drawing awful pictures. So mm-hmm. it's drawful.
0: Yeah. I did not put those two together but now <laughs> that makes it even better everyone highly recommends drawful for a zoom game but Anna I've learned a lot about you and art I thought you were more creative than that I'm gonna be honest although it was creative it just necessarily wasn't maybe drawing on a phone is it's just
2: awesome. with your finger how how on your phone you can't like, and you can't
0: something. you can't undo strokes yeah. after you've
1: done them so they're just there if you make a mistake too mm. bad and you've only got two shades of the same color for your picture yeah i mean I?
2: I feel like it's the like what is it bad workman <laughs> blames the tools but i was uh, it, it was yeah
0: yeah totally not, my strongest,
2: not my strongest point
0: <laughs> holly on the other hand i mean great idea drawing said holly um i thought i was very abstract i liked that it was, a lot that was my profile pic yeah
1: that you know every time someone finds that when it's holly they're like oh are you born in december and i'm like no august <laughs> no, no explanation. No explanation for the Christmas name, but it's good. It's a good season for me. Lots of things with my name on it.
0: Mm, yeah, I can see that. The other game we played was the Jimmy Fallon like listener game, whatever it was called. The whisper. Oh, I need to find out the name of it just in case. In case you know people want to do it. The whisper challenge, which is where we all the person one person puts themselves on mute and then says the says a phrase or a word, and then you all have to guess the word. And that is that could be hours of endless fun. We, we chose food categories because we are on brand. Um, but it was a great time. Katie, clearly, excellent, excellent. Like, what's the word? Lip reader. Mm-hmm. Weird skill to have, but great skill to have. Can I just point out Katie won both games? Oh, so she good. also
1: won the drawing game.
0: Oh. Should we be worried? Oh, interesting. But <laughs> I wonder what that World says. World domination <laughs> is imminent. It says that she's better than all of us, and that's okay. Like, that's fine. It's something that we can all have to just learn to live with. That's all right. Um, so interesting topic. Before I think it's an interesting topic. Before we start, is um, I did a post the other day because we've had a lot of conversations on in our group chat about uh, weight loss drugs and Ozempic and other GLP ones. And we work with a lot of people at ETPHD now more and more increasingly. So obviously, people in larger bodies who are being prescribed weight loss drugs, and you know, we fully support it. If you are being prescribed weight loss drugs from your doctor. They support your health. You're doing all the lifestyle change with us. Great. Like we're like, in terms of the evidence that we have right now, they they, they are supportive, right? So anyway, I did a post about this and I'd seen last week, obviously on Daily Mail, I'd seen um, Oprah say, she'd been asked if she, she she'd lost a lot of weight. And I don't love the fact that we're talking about women's weight loss and all these things, but I just, the topic, like something specific she said, Last week, she said she got asked if she was taking Ozempic, and she said, "I'm sick of people asking me if I'm taking Ozempic." Um, I considered it, but I decided I didn't want to take the easy way out, and I wanted to have willpower and all of these things. And I, you know, I'd kind of talked about this in my post of saying, you know, it's actually not the easy way out, and it's a shame that, like, you know, we're so shaming people. It's our, it's our fat bias, etc. And then Holly, you might have seen this today. Um, today it comes out that. She was taking Ozempic and she was ashamed to say that she was taking Ozempic. And then she said, You know, I, I felt ashamed that I should, that I was taking it, but it's helped me a lot. I still do all of the lifestyle stuff and I don't want to be ashamed anymore. And it doesn't mean that I don't have any willpower. And I thought, One, what a shame that she felt that she had to lie about it. Two, what a shame that she had to comment on it in the first place. But three, unfortunately because of these things which i fully understand you have now contributed to the shame of all of these other people who were taking ozempic and you're like no 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 i just have willpower and so many people have seen this and thought oh i don't have willpower this is maybe why i'm taking ozempic and or other weight class weight supporting drugs um but i thought it was really interesting for someone who's so outspoken to lie about it and understandably so and then come out and say actually I lied good for her come out to say that she's like you know and tell the truth but really interesting it obviously shines a light on not just weight loss drugs but so many so there's so much dishonesty in all of this stuff that even people that like you know sound like they're being very honest and lots of people trust Oprah especially in the states lots of people who sound like they're being very honest there's still a high chance that they're lying regardless of whether that's valid or they're it's because they're ashamed whatever the reason is when you look at people especially celebrities like chances are they're lying realistically um about something um so it's good to keep that in mind but i thought it was interesting it's a shame that oh there's so many shames in that whole situation And um, but yeah i saw that this morning just before i came on the car calls this morning that, that oh she's come out and she said she just she has taken it yeah, yeah.
1: It's really unfortunate how it's portrayed. I don't know how much it's portrayed in the UK media, but in the US media, it seems like it's the new like exposing someone for plastic surgery kind of vibes of the you know like in the nineties that was all the rage and like now it's maybe not just the nineties. I feel like even now, um, but now it seems to be like oh like expose so and so you know taking his zmpac or whatever um, whichever one they're they're taking and it's it's I mean as you said it's just an unfortunate implication that comes along with that although you have to expose someone for doing that I, I also just think it's like the whole moralization of willpower is very problematic and it's something that we all deal with in working with clients every day it's is people who are convinced that there's something wrong with them that or that they don't have enough discipline or have enough willpower whereas what we tend to know from the research is that it's actually the opposite and that people tend to have almost like a an uh, overabundance of willpower and they concentrate it really hard into like one specific period of time and that, that comes with a a backlash mm. um so yeah problematic on in so many ways totally agree
0: yeah and then the willpower narrative it's like you can say it till you're blue in the face but people often obviously who struggle with disorder eating too often have low self-esteem and low self-efficacy so it's an easy one to believe you know yeah um, it doesn't matter if you know, I've worked with people who are like super high up in their careers they have families they have kids they have sustained relationships best friendships all of these things it's like yeah but I don't have any willpower and it's like let's look at your life objectively here and see all of these things that you've achieved and continue su- to sustain why is it that you just don't have willpower when it comes to food like that's not how willpower works like it's it's but it's interesting it's because yeah like because there's so much like crossover with like low self-efficacy and these associations it's so easy just to fall into oh it's a well power thing and it's a shame so oprah one of the most you know at least outwardly successful women in the entire world people sorry in the entire world it's like yeah but i just didn't want to look like i had no well power it's wild no one's immune from these feelings i think there's point on that okay let's get started on the questions holly do you want to go first Sure. Um, I'd love some book
1: recommendations on relationships with food, binge eating, emotional regulation, somatics, yoga, and its benefits. Um, let me just open the question so I can see the whole thing. Um, everything, really, where I can read up in depth on things.
0: I've always thought a at this uh, this question or these types of questions because I never have great book recommendations. I think binge eating overcoming binge eating is a classic um what's the title of oh, oh there's another book that holly i think you feel like you've read this one it's like an eating disorders book eating by the light of the moon is it that one well that's also a great book um definitely that yeah. one i'll have to think about the other one um uh, susan david emotional emotional agility great for emotional regulation um I have zero helpful books. There's a book called Widening the Window, which is like a nervous system type book. It's quite heavy, it's quite information heavy. It's very long. I've been listening to an Audible, kind of like dipping in and out, and that talks a lot about um your nervous system. And she's the person the author is very has a scientific background. However, the foreword is written by um the man who wrote the body keeps the score and there's questions around the body keeps the score in general around its validity and its evidence. And I think the body keeps the score is is an interesting book. I think it it's insightful. I think you can take a lot from it, but a lot of what a lot of that is not evidence based. And it kind of puts this idea that in your head of like my body stores all of my emotions. And scientifically that's not what happens. So some of these books, like I, I do recommend that book too, just to kind of just get an insight into things. But with any of the books that I recommend, at least personally, I would never say everything that's in each of these books is, is A, scientifically correct, Be something that you should take all of it on. But if you can read these books with a bit of a critical mind, I would you know, highlight that.
1: Yeah, um, I think another book I like that I think we talked a bit about his um, compassion framework before, as well as The Compassionate Mind by Paul Gilbert. And he does quite a good job of, like touching on nervous system regulation in the context of compassion and how we might talk to ourselves as a result of different kinds of nervous system stuff. And he doesn't go, he doesn't go too in depth. So I think for like a, if you don't want to go really deep on the science, he does a good job of like an overview without going super in depth. If you want super in depth, um, Katie and I are big fans of Robert Sapolsky. Um, he's like he's a behavioral science guy neuroscience guy at stanford and he's got a book called why zebras don't get ulcers oh yeah and that is um a whole book on like our nervous system stress reaction and he does it from like a sort of molecule molecular perspective and a systems perspective and then a psychological perspective um he's got another great book called behave which is i mean that's a chunky monkey but the um why zebras don't get ulcers i think it's a pretty cool one for understanding nervous system stuff if you want an in-depth sciencey bit um i'm trying to think of which one you were thinking of uh amelia with the eating disorders i was just scrolling through my my
0: google kindle library i don't know Uh, i know know you've got good body image ones, anna
2: more than a body i think that's that's my my go-to um because uh, yeah I'm a, I'm afraid for my reading I keep it light anyway <laughs> so I have nothing more to add than what you guys have already said yeah
1: yeah more than a body is probably my most recommended like to to clients if they just want to explore their own stuff and then I've been having a lot of conversations this week with our um binge breakthrough groups and quite a lot of them were asking for book recommendations and so we talked about some that were more introspective like more than a body where you're thinking about your own stuff and we also talked about some that are more maybe like societal, socioeconomic, um, critical race theory perspective. So I think books like Fearing a Black Body is one that I recommend a lot, which I think is really nice to also have not just a perspective on your own body image, but framing that in context of like bigger um global stuff, which can be, it can be nice to have both angles.
0: Yeah. And another super accessible book is, um, some 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 flowers books. She's actually just she just gives a nice opinion on uh, or a nice perspective on black bodies, on different bodies, on feminism, and how all of that interplays with your body image. It's not a specific body image book, but it's a very accessible. Kind of like a holiday read, like you'll get it's one of those books that you could take loads of pictures of and and remember the like the lines like and feel resonate with them. And I think those there's a lot of space for those types of books too. The book that I was thinking about was Cognitive Behavior Therapy and Eating Disorders. It was another Fairburn book. Oh yeah. That's very that's more for practitioners and stuff, but actually I do think again. It's about knowing what you need. Like, there's space for these types of books where you can learn, like the the more of the academic side of it, or more of the practitioner side of it. And then there's space for you to learn, like the that, like you said, Holly, like the introspective kind of um, stuff. So it's about knowing where you are and knowing what you need. And some of these will be easier to read than others. Yeah, I'll throw I'll throw one more in because I just remembered
1: one that's like body image through a somatic lens with like self compassion lens, which is befriending your body by um, and Safi. Be a seti. I might have said him a bit wrong.
0: She yeah, uh, just started following me on Instagram the other day. I was actually buzzing off my tits. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Um, it's a big deal. So yeah, that'd be a good one if you want to combine
1: many of the above subjects.
0: Yeah, she's got some good resources on her website too. Though the I'm mindful of, she's very anti diet. So again, like this is a good example yeah. of. Just because, like, we're like she she did a ran a course that a lot of us went on a somatics course that a lot of us did. Um, so really rate her, really rate her work. Um, don't agree with everything that she says. So it's always good to look at these things with a critical eye of like, okay, what do I agree with? What do I find challenging? What doesn't fit with my narrative? Sometimes it doesn't fit with your narrative, but it's something you can learn from. And sometimes it's like, you know what? That's that's okay. I just don't. Ha- we don't. Ha- you're not going to agree with everything that everyone says. Just like you won't agree with it from the we say. Okay, Anna question.
2: Change of pace. Uh go to comfort food choice for winter.
0: Huh. I love beans on toast. Or beans on cheese on toast. I just think it's it's very comforting. It's warm. It's filling. It reminds me of my parents and my family. It's a classic. Or waffles, beans, and egg, but I've not had that in ages, to be honest. More beans on cheese on toast. It's mm. Some... Amelia, have you have you tried to
1: share that meal with your American partner? Well, have I've you ta- seen the horror that happens mm-hmm. when you expose Americans to baked
0: beans. Well, I've talked about it, but I haven't brought it into the house yet. I feel like I'm just kind of planting a few seeds, lay the groundwork, just bring it in and be like, oh, let's have this. Because have you? What was your experience with that and with your partner? Did they are they have they embraced? Uh, yeah, so I mean, like
1: you know, full English breakfast, I think Americans can get behind, but then he got to the baked beans and he was like, "What? Have you, what is this? What have you done? Why are these beans sweet? And I was like, but you guys, and Amelia, you just, went, you just had the sweet potato marshmallow casserole as mm-hmm. a savoury Thanksgiving dish, right? I was like, if you guys can do that, we can make beans a little bit
0: sweet. Yeah. And also, our okay. version of sweet in the UK is like a 1 out of 10 on sweetness in the States. Like, Yes. Our baked beans are like a 0.5 on the sweetness scale in comparison, especially in comparison to a sweet potato casserole. My word, that's like a nine out of 10 on a main dish next to turkey. You know, they can't have one real for them and another real for us. And mm-hmm. um, Comfort foods.
1: I can tell you what my family buy for me before I go back home for Christmas and it's the Cabri's Snowballs. They only, they're basically like the Christmas version of mini eggs, which is my favorite mm-hmm. Easter candy. You know, I've got, got a theme. Mm-hmm. Cowbury's chocolate wrapped in some kind of crunchy sugar. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, there was one year where I went back and they had sold out of snowballs everywhere and I was very upset. And so now my mum my has already sent me the picture of the snowball <laughs> supply that she's got for my upcoming trip.
0: Oh, good points for your mum. Do you know what? I got um, my boyfriend um snowball, tennis chocolate, orange snowball chocolate which I hadn't, I hadn't seen before, which he hasn't opened yet, which I'm mildly offended by. You know what I had to do last night? So Terry's Chocolate Orange is not so much a thing here. To buy a Terry's Chocolate Orange here, as you'll know, Holly, it's like $4 or something. It's wild. But we were going to see some neighbours last night, and they just had a baby, and I was like, oh, I'll bake. But you know with baking, like, it requires a lot of stuff. If you don't have any of your own stuff, you realise... Like stocks. Oh. Yeah, you Yeah, you realise <laughs> just how much you need, right? And I was like... Going around the store the other night and I was like, I've been in here for too long. I was having to buy things, just stuff that you just think like baking powder, too much stuff. So I was halfway through and then I come down the aisle of the boxes of stuff and I thought, I've never done this before. Shall I I do it? And you know, I did it. I made box brownies, but I took Lucy Lord's ebook, chocolate orange brownie recipe. So I took, like, I got some fresh orange and put some zest in there, some orange juice in there, added some chocolate orange and then put cherished chocolate orange on the top. And I have to say, they were absolutely delicious. And they were from a box. And I was like, I need to stop being so elitist when it comes to baking. It didn't really nurture my soul like, you know, baking at home would normally do. But even things like, don't have my mixer, I just don't have this stuff. And it felt very strenuous on a Wednesday night to do it all. So there was a a nice little food rule for me to break. I'm allowed to bake from a box. And actually... You know, it's quite can be quite successful. I'm convincing everyone so that I feel better about myself. Okay, and um, and I watch your food. What's your comfort food?
2: Uh, I'm going with. Obviously, you guys are a little bit warmer where you are than it is here. But I'm going with either like a thick soup and crusty sourdough, something mm-hmm. like that, or some kind of stew.
0: A stew. Well, Interesting.
2: Well, when I say stew, like something in the slow cooker that you can mm-hmm. just like ladle out, probably some bread and butter too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah.
0: Do you know what I miss? It's tiger bread. Just, mm. I find why. Yeah. What happened to I... tiger bread? Yeah. That, it's just. Is it just not in America or is it not a thing anymore? It was such no, a no, thing for a while. Thing. It's just not for you it's guys. Just, just no. ask me. But I find that very comforting with like thick slices of tiger bread, not the pre sliced one, like you cut it yourself. So it's like two in one just like pb and j or with soup or with a stew just it or with chocolate spread, it covers so many bases but again it reminds me of you know when i was a kid and we'd get tiger bread and it was such a treat when it was all soft and nice i think comfort foods is like sensory stuff but i think there's so much is tied into comfort food of memories of like how it soothes you. Oh my god I you... I haven't had I saying to you guys I haven't I didn't schedule time to eat today. So it's 925 and every between every meeting I'm just like, oh just have a wee bite of apple or just have a wee a wee thing like this. And now we're talking about food and my stomach is like as soon as, soon as you let the thought in, my stomach is like
1: ah damn it. So it's not is good. Is that a sign to move on to the next question, Amelia?
0: It absolutely is. Okay. <laughs> let's let's get this question this is me Ross's question. How To focus on my goals when having such a busy life, my mind is always so chaotic and can only concentrate so much. I haven't got the mental load for some personal life, but like organising birthday presents, let alone making time for me.
1: I mean, some of this, as always, I think is a bit answered in the question, um, which is that a lot of this... By the way, very valid to have a very busy life. Totally understand that some people have a lot of things they're juggling, a lot of plates they need to juggle. Um, And a lot of how we manage this is going to be more about how we manage the mental cognitive load of things. Of course, there can be things here like time management skills and self-worth and all these things to make sure that we value making the time for ourselves enough to do it. But this is where, and I'm sure you're doing this already, Roz will probably have you working on Mindfulness skills and like mini, I like to call them parasympathetic pockets, but like mini mindfulness moments to help you start to generate the ability to direct your attention to where it wants to go. Because if our mind's feeling really chaotic, that's often a sign that we aren't necessarily, you know, I don't want to say, yeah, we're not necessarily super skilled yet at directing our attention, noticing where our attention is and recentering that. So that's probably where I'd start.
2: Yeah, I agree entirely. And I would also explore uh, your relationship with stress. Because I think sometimes, like you were saying, Holly, people have very busy lives, but sometimes we add to the busyness and the stress with the stories that we tell ourselves because it's kind of like... (sighs) we are so used to that feeling of inner urgency and constantly being on the go that we almost seek out more of it maybe because there's a discomfort with not doing um and so yeah I that would probably journal on that I think and see what see what comes up
0: yeah
2: yourself in the stress cycle
0: Yeah, because it feels natural. I always think it's amazing to speak to people who kind of move through this and they're like, I didn't realise how much of my life I was spending in that stress state, in that fight or flight state. And it becomes the norm, just like with your body, right? When you get to a point of body kind of neutrality or positive body image where you're like, I didn't really realise how disconnected I felt. Or when you stop chronically restricting, like I didn't realise how exhausted I actually was. And it's the same here. It's like, you don't don't realise that there is another way to live regardless of how busy you are there is another way to live that's not in that fight or flight like constant hyper arousal state um but you don't know until you start to kind of pull yourself out of it and, and having those like what you were saying Holly like parasympathetic pockets or like my moments where you start to bring yourself down to, so you can see that is really helpful um I was speaking to one of the coaches I work with yesterday and she was like um she said she she's very fo- been very focused on like being calm and doing everything from a place of calm and she was like I just didn't realize I spent all of my life there and I clung to it because I thought it was making me more productive and I thought it was making me do more and it doesn't help me I don't get any more accomplished I just feel more stressed. and I can't actually then take some downtime because I feel like I should constantly be doing and so rest then becomes um, anxiety interesting and and that can be a problem too so when we're saying like you know you've got this busy life and a busy mind I think the worst advice would be like oh just rest more and like just find pockets of rest and things like that because that can feel very stressful but the chaos thing is the chaos thing is definitely something to work on in that what stories are you telling yourself like you were saying Anna about chaos and busyness and do you find a sense of achievement do you find a sense of worth in achieving and being busy and I would question anyone to ask themselves At the end of the day, if you've been really busy, how do you feel? Versus at the end of the day, if you've been just as busy, but you haven't felt as busy. Like, so you've had different stories in your head. You've made some breaks to soothe, et cetera. How do you feel? A lot of people will feel better about themselves if they've been go, 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 chaos, chaos, chaos. Because I've done it. I've I've had a really productive day. I've done really, really well. And I think you have to reframe that relationship of, like, what busyness is versus what productivity is and... And really, what stories you're telling yourself about being busy and chaotic, because otherwise you'll find it very hard to let that go. And even in this question, you're kind of saying, I mean, you're not asking how to be less busy and chaotic. You're asking how to add some goals into the busy and into the chaos, um, which is just an interesting thing, I think, probably to reflect on. Okay,
1: Holly. Just interested in who or what helped you back to a healthy relationship with food and exercise. And what was the moment at which you acknowledged that you really needed help to heal?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown helped me personally one-to-one. Um she, she, Brene Brown like did change my life. Like I stand by that and I, I, I sound like a total fangirl. But for me, uh, but you are. <laughs> I know I, I know I, I sound like one, let's be honest. For me personally, like I knew that I had struggles with food, but it wasn't until I was like 30, 31, I uncovered, I learned who Brene Brown was when I was in the States. Like she hadn't made it to the UK yet. And she started talking about shame. She started talking about emotional numbing and all these things. Like, at the 31, I had um, all of the scientific underpinnings. I knew all about extreme dieting. I knew all of the physiology of all of the stuff that I was talking about, but I didn't necessarily fully comprehending myself the the psychological side of it or the emotional regulation side of it the dysregulation side of it um and i think i read a couple of her books and i was like oh this all makes sense to me now and it was like i think what happens with some people that work with us is like or they see a post from one of ours or they listen to a podcast they're like a weight is lifted off because it's like oh this makes sense now like this is not how i'm going to be forever this is not just me I'm not broken. It's like, this is, this is, this is a thing. And I think Bernie Brown kind of normalized for me of like, this is, I'm just like everyone else that has their own dysregulatory like dysregulation quote, unquote, tools to try and help themselves. And whether it be food or whether it be alcohol, whether it be spending, whatever it is, it, most people have got these struggles. And I was like, oh, and it was like a whole weight had been lifted off. And then from that point onwards, like, yes, I've had like, you know, different ways of getting support, but realistically, I, I've never had anyone, I've never worked with anyone on a one-to-one basis or otherwise that has done anything to my relationship with food in a positive way, apart from myself, to be honest. But, you know, just for me, it's always been about listening to people that actually I've got nothing to do with nutrition or fitness and the, seeing things through my own lens that has brought the most clarity for me, I think.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I needed a, the combination of, personally, I got, I worked with um Nicola Rinaldi who did No Period, Now What?, um. So I did do some specific support on HA and before that I was working with uh, like naturopathic but MD um, specifically on like hormone balancing stuff. So I'd come at it from like an HA angle and then as I started to try and make the changes that I needed to make in order to like restore my hormone balance, that's when I realized like how messed up my relationship with food and my body was because I was so resistant to making a lot of the changes that were necessary. And I was like, oh, didn't really realize how bad that was until I tried to make the change and then found that really, really hard. Um, So I did do some like one-on-one work, but also for me, yeah, Brene is great. Um, I liked, I really liked Untamed by Glennon Doyle as well. I know she's quite polarizing, but I found that book really helpful um, as like a fellow anxious um, brain. And she also recently, maybe like this time last year, was talking about her, um, own struggles with relationship with food and diagnoses around that on her podcast. Um and the person that she's working with, their book I also found quite helpful. Uh it's it's a bit more of like a a medic medical angle book. So I don't know how relevant that is for this, but that for me was quite helpful. Um and also I this is this was me personally. It's not a must for everyone, but I shared my journey as I was going through it on my Instagram and that helped me so much with the as Brene Brown says um shameless in the dark so like for me sharing that along the way just meant I didn't have to keep telling everyone every time I saw them it meant that I felt like oh cool like the weight was lifted for me by sharing that rather than keeping it inside um and through that um two good friends of mine were like me too um and we ended up forming a little little trio and we'd like have a little support group and we talked to each other about our struggles all the time and like that common humanity was like massively helpful Mm -hmm. for me as well which is obviously what what we try to provide in our group chats and coaching and stuff
0: yeah I think something that you said that I think is so interesting and that you didn't realize how bad it was until you started doing one bit of work on one thing and then it just like uncovered all of this other stuff and uh, you know we talk about this a lot in the sense of you you might come to you might apply to work with the strike because you're emotionally in, and you think my only problem is that I'm emotionally in and I can't drop body fat like that's your thing and then you start working with us and it's like a thread and you pull on it and then you're like oh there's all of this other stuff that hadn't even registered yet some people find that like actually for you know it's two months in, they're like oh my god everything feels almost worse heavier harder because you're like oh, now I can see all of this stuff. And then you work through each of them and then you come out the other end, right? But it's the same, you know, a lot of people will apply to work with us, but then they won't take action until six months later, a year later, because it's the same sort of thing of like, it's fine, I'm just sometimes overeating. Like, it's not that big a deal. It's one body fat, I just want you to stop me. F- I want you to help me to stop overeating. And maybe then you'll listen to a podcast and then you're like, oh, oh like, I don't, want to, I don't want to open that box. So I'm just going to stay figure out my overeating myself and then that will be fine but then six months later most of the time people will come back and say oh I thought I could do that part myself but actually I couldn't because there's so much more to it and um, but you're you it's so interesting that you, the way that you phrase that because it's like yeah it's just like a little you're just shining a torch on one, like that's just one torch that you're shining and then it's like oh there's all this other stuff which is scary but also amazing because all of that other stuff impacts the entirety of your life every other part aspect of your life which is Fabulous, in my humble opinion. <laughs> Anna? Um,
2: I I knew that things weren't great, um, but it was very much the, and I'm sure you will relate, Amelia, it was very much the norm because that's just what happened in off-season when you were competing, that it was just a lot of overeating and then you'd go back on prep and that would, fix everything um and for me it was because I just finished juniors and I was like I don't know what I want to do I'm gonna have to like if I want to play with the big girls I'm gonna have to take things seriously but I was also well aware I didn't actually know how to eat anymore uh unless it was on a meal plan um and it was not the most fun way to live when you're 22 23 uh and then it was I think through a friend that you were coaching Amelia she was sharing your stuff so I started following you and you were the only person that was talking about binge eating at the time and obviously you were competing as well I was like this is someone who finally gets what it's like and is not afraid to say yeah this this isn't normal this isn't how it needs to be um well that that's that Mm -hmm. like once we started working together I've yeah not not looked back, and obviously Brene and Glenna Glen Glenna Glen fantastic but I think I mean the, I mean this in I with no disrespect, when we started working together, we didn't really touch on all of the stuff that we do now with coaches. but I think for me, there was a lot of education well I say that I was studying nutrition but I'd never really kind of practiced what I knew Mm. so to have someone there telling me like it's okay to mix your carbs up and not eat a few grams of whatever you don't have to eat everything if you're actually full um and then as the the journey went on then adding a few more tools along the way um
0: yeah it is wild isn't it one that you were 23 that seems wild to me um but to that like you said, you were studying nutrition. And I think it's so common. Of like, I had a PhD in exercise physiology, a master's in nutrition. Like Holly, you're super educated. You were doing your nutrition course, and all of us were like, "Oh yeah, we, like we know all of it. Like we know it, not all of it, right?" And the more you go in yourself, the more you learn different things about yourself. Which is the idea is that you're learning about yourself, not textbook stuff. Um, but you can have the not all the knowledge, but but it's the awareness that you need to then, or like the awareness and the accountability. And the understanding of of how to implement it
2: but it's almost like yeah but it, it won't work like that for me mm. like if i swap pasta for, uh, if i swap potato for pasta like no
0: i can't believe that was like that was where you were at. yeah that's where you were mm. at good old good old you've good,
2: seen old. the meal plans you've seen how sad they are
0: <laughs> no and this person who wrote anna's meal plans has like got 200 000 followers and is really outspoken on instagram and it's terrifying terrifying um okay Ah, no question
2: um so i have toned back my training with ha recovery in the sessions i am doing i am feeling a lot weaker i'm lifting a lot less and fatigue fast even with reducing weight and volume is this normal
0: One, I would say, amazing that you've taken the action and you're doing that. Um, I actually did a podcast this morning with Greg. Um, I'm not sure what his Instagram name is, 55X Project now, I think it is. And he used to work with Lift the Bar and he just did an incredible couple of lectures on EIQ around like managing training volume. He's a big proponent of like, minimum effective dose and, and what that looks like and you know fits my bias 100% so obviously love him and um, but he was talking about you know like what you really need to do to maintain muscle and it, it's of course we can reassure you that reducing from six sessions to three will maintain your muscle and potentially because it will improve your recovery may actually benefit you in terms of strength and muscle mass like you, you just don't know um we can reassure you that but it's very nice to hear Basically, three hours of content and do a podcast with someone who also was just saying all these things. So, one is I recognize how difficult that can be. Two, you're going to benefit a lot more from doing that in terms of your overall health and your training long term. Uh, specifically, in response to this part of the question, I think probably that you're just almost more aware of the fatigue now than you were. It's incredible, with I mean, there, there probably is more to this physiologically, but at least on the surface, um. When you are used to over-training and over-restricting a lot, under-eating and being chronically stressed, you don't ever allow yourself to check in or have that connection with your body where you recognise the feelings of exhaustion or etc. And and maybe now that you're becoming slightly more compassionate with yourself, slightly more connected with your body for the work you're doing with Anna, you're actually now just realising how you feel. And... Maybe you didn't have that awareness before. Um, That's sort of one side to this.
1: Yeah, I also think if we do take the physiological perspective, this is something that I see really commonly with clients who are either overtraining or coming from a, a background of HA. When they start taking a rest day, for example, if they haven't taken rest day before, they feel so much worse and they go oh that's a sign that i shouldn't be taking the rest day or that what i was doing before was working better for me and from a from a physiological perspective i think sometimes it's because people are running on like cortisol and adrenaline and all the hormones that are elevated when we are overtraining and and um, under eating and under recovering and the, the fact is that all those all those hormones and neurotransmitters are are built to release energy in your body unfortunately it's energy that we don't really um have available um but it it they're built to make us be able to keep going and and feel okay at keeping going and therefore when you start eating more and training less you're hopefully um relying less on those like stress um hormones and stress neurotransmitters to keep your body running and therefore basically what you're doing is taking the band-aid off of what was always there, the fatigue that was always there, um, which yes, like as Amelia said, like you might just not have let yourself tune into or let yourself feel, uh, but you might genuinely not have felt it when you were um, like running on fumes versus when you're actually running fueled. And so it can be a, it gets, it feels much worse before it feels better again process.
0: Okay. Becca's client, what to do in the moment when you actually don't want to stop the binge, i.e. you want to binge so you don't want to try anything to stop it?
1: I I think I think in the moment, like any of us who've gone through binge eating and with any of our clients too, there's, you know, and this is one of the things, first things that we often work on with clients is like there's always a reason that we developed that habit in the first place, there's a purpose to the binges. And that means that, that you know, in, in the moment where we're choosing to binge, you, we, we don't want to stop it for a reason. And so exploring what that reason is and actually acknowledge and validating that, I think can be really helpful. Because often um, when I talk to people and we're like, you know, what could be quote unquote good, about binging, they go nothing. There can there's no way, like nothing about this is good. But then if we actually look at it, we can we can pull out like actually there are some reasons that this has become a like coping mechanism for you, um, and that then it's a process of unpicking that, slowly introducing new coping tools. But it's it's going to be likely that it takes some time to transition from this being a, a help. Quite, quite helpful or unhelpful um, coping tools to other things, being able to serve that same purpose.
2: I completely agree. And for one client, one of the best things that she found in the moment to help, like we'd worked through lots and lots of things, but similar in the sense, like we all know that in the moment we know food is going to help how we feel right there and then but for her the the I don't think it was a question but it was more a well I know I'm not going to feel great after like whether that's physically or mentally with kind of still working through feelings of guilt or shame and that was that check-in with herself to go yeah I probably don't want to feel like that after actually so I might try doing some breath work instead and then go outside or whatever else
0: Mm-hmm. like the tomorrow morning question i think with bingeing is mm-hmm. is really impactful it's one of the easiest things to think about but like how do I don't want to feel in the morning but so yeah i agree i think recognizing kind of turning into what you were saying holly like it's probably not the binge that you want like i understand you don't want to stop the binge like you're like i want to binge but in that moment almost using that as like a as like a again like a torch or like a redirection of okay i want to binge that means i that means i want something that means I need something and I think last year I spoke about this one day where I was like I actually kind of like I remember this feeling this feels like a kind of binge urge like and I know it was only last year or something and it didn't I didn't do anything but I remember thinking oh this is interesting I now know objectively what this means and I took the day off uh baked I went skateboarding I turned my phone off I did all these things and I was like that want to binge because it felt like a want to binge it's not a want to binge it's a want to self-regulate it's a want to get away from other people and disconnect from the real world for a little bit it's a want for all these things and so when you're looking at what purpose it's serving you can you then take that one step further and say that want to binge is and then redirect it to what that actually is and we can then almost rather than like I think there's this want to try and get rid of the urges completely like and I shouldn't ever want to pinch I shouldn't ever want that feeling and it's like actually can we learn to welcome that feeling in because it's redirecting us to what we really need it's communication from our body it's our body saying it's time to self-soothe it's time to rest it's time to connect with people it's time to show yourself some love whatever that is welcoming it in rather than just trying to get rid of that feeling I think can be helpful it's very scary and it's not necessarily something I would recommend you do immediately on this journey of like oh just welcome it in but over time as you're continuing this work with I think with Becca yeah can you then start to think about it in in that way um I think that's all I've got to say on that actually. I knew there's something else in my head but I couldn't it wasn't coming that's the same time it's happened to me I'm like there's something in there but it's not coming to the Forefront mm-hmm. um Okay. Holly.
1: Uh, I've noticed I have some confusion on hunger and fullness. Sometimes when I'm getting the train home from work late at night, say, um, I know it's dinner time, but I think that I'm not hungry. Then I eat and realize that I'm starving. Other times I have lunch and then I'm full, but by 3 p.m. I'm super hungry again and I daydream about my afternoon snack. I know people develop more awareness of this as they learn to check into themselves, but is that normal and how do I get out of this?
2: I would say it's very normal to not really know what hunger feels like if it's been something that you've um, ignored, suppressed, pushed through. um, uh, The hunger signals will be, you'll be disconnected from them. They might be a little bit dysregulated at the moment too. Um, And I'm not sure who your coach is, but you'll certainly be working through various practices to help you reconnect uh, and reestablish those hunger signals, but I would I would start with kind of if you I'm assuming you're going to be following like regular eating patterns. I think the best thing you can do is to just check in with yourself before uh, a, a meal and just see what's going on. Like, how does your stomach feel? How do you feel in yourself? Are you able to like concentrate or do you feel a bit distracted a bit on edge um because they can be they can be a physical signs of hunger
1: yeah and i think i love to start with the physical signs of hunger i think that also letting people explore things like stomach sensations yes and then i also find that some people go but i don't have any stomach sensations so i'm like that's fine let's look at other areas of your body where you might feel this as well Um, so we do physical sensations. We also then do like thought patterns. So for example, if you find yourself consistently coming back to thinking about food, like, is that sometimes a hunger signal for you? Obviously not always, but, um, we can explore when it is, um, and then also behavioral patterns. So sometimes, um, people find themselves sort of like getting up and opening the fridge really often, or like, uh, opening their food ordering apps or like, so can we also have potential behavioral things that come up for you when you might be more hungry than you quote unquote think you are. Um, especially if people are like overly focused on, Oh, I'm only hungry if my stomach's growling. Um, and then things like, yeah, cognitive focus, memory, mood, um, all of those can be helpful things to develop awareness around for connecting with hunger cues. If you feel like at the moment, just going, am I hungry is not cutting it.
0: I agree. The only other thing I'd add is to look at like your your circumstances around these fluctuations too in that like you so you said a daydream about my afternoon snack like what's happening at work at that time like is it actually that you're that you're bored because in the afternoon you don't have meetings or you do have meetings and so you're bored of that or is it that you're not you feel like you're not hungry I think you and you're getting the train home from work late at night you know it's dinner time but you think you're not hungry what's happened until that point have you been go go, go, go up for the last four hours and then run to the train and then got on the train and it's like no wonder you're not hungry like you're again you're in that hyper state like you're it's very unlikely that you're going to feel hungry then but that doesn't mean that your body is not hungry so then getting to understand what's happening in your life and your behaviors will allow you then to think okay well what do I need maybe to put in place that will help me then check in with my hunger and fullness do I need to just have like a minute or two where I just do some breathing and I regulate and then check in my hunger again or do I need to just focus on my work and do like a solid hour of work before I then check in with things like there are lots of things you can do but I think there's the interceptive stuff but then there's also like the logistical objective what's happening in my life stuff and what do I need to help me then check in with myself because no one's going to be able to recognize their hunger and fullness when they are they've just been working, they're super stressed, they've just run to the train. Your level, quote, unquote, your understanding of your fullness at that point or hunger at that point is going to be potentially dysregulated, potentially not, quote, unquote, uh, true because you're in this different state. So I would just get curious about that as well. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, everyone, for your questions. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Holly. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Mm Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review and if you would like to chat to me then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.